I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. And joining me today is Dr. Mary Lamia, Ph.D. She's the author of Grief Isn't Something to Get Over, Finding a Home for Memories and Emotions After Losing a Loved One. Combining psychological insights with numerous case examples from her decades of work with grieving clients, Mary Lamia, Ph.D., illustrates how loved ones who have died are always alive within us, regardless of spiritual beliefs. Uh, For her, this book has become a deeply personal journey. She lost her mother at the age of 11, her father just 10 years later, and sadly, her husband of 44 years in 2021. Although she agrees that it may be awkward to talk about the loss of a loved one, at least in the culture we live in, she illustrates that grief has a rich meaning. She educates the public about the psychology of human behavior by blogging for Psychology Today, Thrive Global, and PsychWire. And for nearly a decade, she hosted a weekly call-in talk show, Kid Talk, with Dr. Mary on Radio Disney stations. Welcome to the show, Mary. Nice to have you on. Thank you for having me, Catherine. So the question, I guess my first question is, why is it so important for us to talk about our grief? Something that is, I, I don't know if I alluded to it, but it really was part of the introduction. Grief is a taboo subject in our culture. There's no question about that. We don't want to talk about it. So why do we need to talk about it? Well, we don't actually need to talk about it, but <laughs> it is very, very useful to us if we don't silently hold our grief if it becomes if it becomes part of our lives if it if the person we lost you know is is there with us because they are inside you know we hold people we lost inside of ourselves forever and unfortunately uh, many people don't want to hear about people who have died they want to be happy and talk about happy things and that's just how our culture is and and there is research that shows that when somebody is at a social gathering, they are less likely to engage others if they talk about a loss, even though they are likely to engage others if they talk about their losses and have a sense of humor about it. So that's unfortunate. You know, what we can see is that we can talk about someone we lost, we could talk about the sad things, and still, in the same sentence, go on with who we are and what our lives are all about. We don't have to hide our grief. Well, I think one of the things is, uh, all of us at some time in our lives suffer from a loss, whether it's a loss of a loved one, directly a loss of a loved one, or just even in a cultural sense, the loss of our during COVID, for instance, the loss of the life that we once led or lived. Um, so as a, we're always suffering losses. And if we kind of stuff it in, is that what you're saying? And we don't really express it. It's there with us. And it does help. It does guide our emotions. It's, it's, I, I think that, um, and it's, so it really, it, it's important for us to acknowledge the loss and to talk about it. I mean, you've had so much experience, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, you know, with you are able to talk about specific, let's talk about some case histories or case, you know, people that numerous case examples from your decades of work with grieving clients. Yes. I mean, grief, 
grief is so much a part of our identity and who we are. And so if we hide our losses and hide what we experience, we ex- we actually hide part of ourselves. Yeah, I've had a lot of experience with loss. And, and it's interesting, you know, when I was an intern, I, I talk about this in the book, I, I had a client who who was severely, severely depressed and nothing would uh, help this man bounce back into life. And then we discovered that he was reaching the age his father was when his father had died when this client was seven years old. And this age-matching anniversary had a profound effect on him. And you know, in our implicit memories are dates and times and places, and we may not be consciously aware of them, but they play out in our lives in big ways. So our, our, our mind, our memory has a clock and a calendar, and it tells us when something important is about to happen. And with this particular man reaching that age of, you know, in his 30s of when his father had died, had this profound effect because his memory was reminding him of something that he wasn't even consciously aware of. Once we began to look at that, his depression miraculously lifted, and he went on with his life. You know, and I had that same experience, except that at the time, I knew exactly when my mother was, you know, how old she was and when I was going to reach that age, but it still had an effect on me. We can't get around it. You know, our 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 memory, our emotional life has a mind of its own, and we have and to are, respect it. I think there are other examples that you give in the book, too. There are a lot of things that rekindle your feelings of loss. Uh, it could be simply something, it could be a smell, it could be a place that you're in or that you were there with the person that you uh, loved and lost, or it can be a lot of different things that kind of rekindle those memories, right? Oh, sensory and, memories, sensory memories are particularly profound. If we if we smell something or taste something that's that's familiar from our childhood, let's say, memories can come flooding back. Proust talked about this in his book many, many years ago, how tasting a madeleine and some tea, you know, reminded him of his childhood and gave him this feeling of joy inside. And he realized the joy wasn't in the madeleine or in the tea. The joy was in the memory. And our, our memories, you know, produce sensations. They produce feelings. And and often, you know, there's there's millions of them related to somebody we loved and lost. Um, you know, just just petting your your dog, and if you lose that animal, that that sensation, that feeling, remains with you, and it may reappear if you touch a soft blanket. It could reappear with anything. So, yes, we have a warehouse of memories, and our memory system is just amazing. You know, it gathers and stores and preserves, and can call up. Uh, so many incidents in our lives that we've sensed or just experienced or that we know. And this happens in loss all the time. So one of the reasons grief isn't something to get over is because we have this system of memories that is constantly reminding us, even through our dreams. Well, it's interesting you hear people say all the time, we have to put closure to this. This is something that I hear you know, when, mm-hmm. yeah, when somebody has, 
a and lot of yeah and it's closure i think people have been led to believe that somehow they close the door to the loss and they don't think about it anymore and it doesn't reoccur and they're not sad and you know part of this is that you know in our culture we're supposed to be happy we overvalue happiness and actually the more we overvalue it the less happy we are because we just can't achieve that but we don't close that door because we can't erase memories. We just don't erase them. And if we did, we'd be in real trouble because memory, our memory system exists to inform us. It it evolved to anticipate the present and the future and to give us information that will, will help us then. So we don't get rid of our memories of somebody we lost any more than we get rid of our memories of anything else. And I think so there's no oftentimes closure, to try there's to adapting set, to loss, and yeah. there's finding a place for it within us. Also, there's not a time limit. I think that's another piece of that we have to put closure. You often hear also, uh, or I've heard it in my practice, uh, you know, people will say, you have to, uh, there's a time limit. You should be feeling better at, you know, whatever the loss is. Uh, exactly. <laughs> you have three months, yeah. you have nine months, you have a year, and now you have to get on with your life. And <laughs> Right. Yeah. And and that often, I mean, you probably find this, makes people feel very guilty if they have an episode where they miss a loved one and, and cry. Like They may say to themselves, I'm not over it yet, when in fact, that's not the case at all. There is no, you know, specified time. Of course, we have the diagnosis now of prolonged grief, and that's when, you know, somebody gets through a year and and still they they can't manage to get out of bed or or do anything in their lives or attach to anything else that's a little bit different but these episodes of memories that cause us sadness anguish even are common and normal to have and even though the stages of grief have been refuted for over 20 years and there's tons of research that it it just doesn't happen that way you don't go through certain stages and then come out the other end with some kind of closure people still believe that we want to believe there's a cycle and that we get through something when in fact it's in waves Uh, mary what about are there different kinds of grief and uh you know losing a child is always be is considered, you know, that's the worst thing that could happen to anyone. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about those those families in Texas who lost their babies to the massacre. Ah. Yeah. Now that's yes. that's. Can, can we put that in a context? How does one? Yeah. You know, what coping there strategies are, for? Yeah. There are different kinds of losses, and and a lot of how we respond depends upon our relationship with that person. But losing a child. I believe is is among the worst and and you never get over losing a child at all and you also have memories of the of what you anticipate anticipated that child was going to do or be or how that child was even if it even if that child is not born we still have ideas about who that person is going to be and we have these it's like a lost life, but we still have that life in our head that we lost. But losing a child, losing a child is is 
so painful and so heartbreaking, and it's one of the losses that people, I think, least understand or have sympathy for or don't want to bring up. If we know somebody who has lost a child, it's really important to connect with them about that child and how they feel. They may not be able to talk about it, but but to know that somebody else cares. Often people who lose children have said to me, it's like people want to forget or people don't want to talk about it because they know how sad I am. Well, you know, sadness is, emotions are momentary and it's okay to bring something up, but we don't. It's like we, we avoid negative emotions. I, I think one of the other thing is people oftentimes are afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing. Can you say the wrong mm-hmm. thing? It's such a horrific thing that happened to you. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, and so they don't say anything. And that's part of the issue. And that's different than, let's say, I, I think I read in the beginning, I mean, you lost your husband after 44 years of marriage. That's, I think people have a different maybe a different way of expressing themselves in that case. They're more willing to talk. I mean, they're more willing to uh, not feel so terrified that they're going to say the wrong thing. Um, uh, you yes, know, we so don't it, want somebody to hurt more because of, of what we say. Actually, I lost my husband as I was doing the final edits, the publisher's edits for this book. And the publisher was kind enough to let me hold on to the book to add something about that experience to it, but that was a, a kind of a sadly ironic event that happened. But you know, we were talking about loss of a child. A few months after my husband died, my oldest son was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and that you know brought to mind all that I had written about uh, the loss of a child. Fortunately, he's okay. He's had to have a whole lot of treatment but it's so it's so devastating it doesn't matter how old your child is or how young it it's not supposed to go that way according to how we feel mm-hmm. and it's a it's a hard thing to endure what was interesting to me is that his response to the loss of his father having been diagnosed himself with a, a serious illness was almost right out of my book. The first thing he he wanted to do was to get back his father's ashes. We had sent them somewhere where we were going to have a ceremony, and he had to have his father near him in whatever form he could have them. Mm-hmm. And those are the kinds of things we do. He wanted to uh, have one last conversation with his father. He said, if only I could have one last conversation with him. And and I told him, as I say in the book, goodbyes are just one part of our relationship with somebody. Though when we lose somebody we love, we tend to focus on that goodbye and that regret that we didn't say, say more or do more. And, you know, regret in loss is, is really painful. I think that's very common too. I mean, that's sort of like how people, most people or many people, I guess, do respond that way, Um, which is, as you say, unfortunate. And I'm thinking about, I mean, all the losses that you've had in your life, um, losing your mother at 11 and then your father 
died 10 years later, your husband, and then your son diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, unfortunately, you're the expert. <laughs> well, but I also, I also know the ways in which I was able to cope with loss, you know, and, and people remain within us. And we can still learn from them, even though they become a static image in our memory. We still learn from them. I, I, I was driven to study and succeed because I have a memory of my, my father throughout my childhood, uh, studying a math book, studying math books. Uh, even though he had an eighth grade education, he wanted to learn more. That image sticks with me. Of this is who my father is, and he valued education and learning, and that drove me to achieve more. You know, the fact that his heart was broken when my mother died, and he died 10 years later, uh, also motivated me. I mean, that was that was in my memory. The, the idea, my mother used to say she could fix anything except a broken heart. Well, all my, my father's heart was broken, and I don't think becoming a psychologist is far from that. You know, just why would I become a psychologist to heal broken hearts. Well, that was my my conception of it as a kid. But we become who we are based on those memories of the people we have loved and lost. And we can still learn from them throughout our lives. I think one of the other things is we're not necessarily talking about that the person actually died. We're talking about losses that result from it could be a lifelong injury. It could be an illness. Uh, it could be many things that represent a deep loss in one's life or in one's family. Oh, loss of opportunities, loss of a job, of of a home. I I live in California where we've had, you know, terrible, terrible fires where people have lost their homes and everything they own, and that that leaves them with such an emptiness inside. And yet, once again, they don't go around talking about it, but it's a, it's a form of, you know, collective grief when so many people together lose a part of their lives or their past. What, if, you know, you mentioned, well, we're, obviously we've touched on some of these, but the, in your book, coping strategies, uh, important coping strategies to help with, loss. Um, what are some of them that we haven't mentioned, that we haven't talked about? Well, one one is that when we have, you know, that, that grief is the result, not of our negative memories, but of our positive ones. And to understand that we have to separate our fond memories from the sadness of loss. So if we pass a restaurant where we had dinner with a loved one many times and we begin to cry because we know they're gone, we also have to realize that we're crying because of the positive memories we have of being with that person. And so to focus on the positive and and what we did with that person that was enjoyable and loving rather than on the fact that they're gone. So the positive memory gets buried uh, beneath our sadness. The other thing is, when somebody dies, we have to reinvest in life and find meaning in life. 
some people find meaning in, in a loss. For example, if somebody dies of cancer, then they take up a campaign to help people who, with that illness. But that's finding meaning in the loss. We have to we have to find meaning in life to keep moving on and see what gives gives us uh, joy or satisfaction, what we can derive from life without that person with us. And that also means we have to redefine ourselves because if somebody is a soulmate and they're gone, so much of our identity is attached to that person. And so when they die, our identity goes with them. We talk about losing a loved one, but who is really lost? We become lost because our identity is attached to them. So we have to think about, you know, what does this loss mean in terms of who I am and my identity and how can I redefine myself? Um, so it it involves sort of investment in in other aspects of life we may not have considered and and setting some kind of goals for ourselves that don't involve that person, which can be very hard to do if if we're very, very attached or a soulmate with somebody or being a mother defines us and we lose a child. Those things are all intertwined. What about different, um, well, here's these two different examples. Like if someone dies suddenly, totally unexpected, and as opposed to someone who is very sick for a very long time and in a lot of pain and then they die, um, is the reaction, does the reaction, is it different? Is it is the grieving process different for the person who's you know, left it, behind? That, yeah. that, that's such a good question because often people think that if if it's a long drawn out illness that somehow we are relieved when a person dies, but that is just not the case. Someone could be just as devastated after a long drawn out illness as if somebody dies suddenly. The the difference tends to be though that with a drawn out long illness our memory has time to start to adjust. But in a sudden loss, our memory expects that person to be there. And yet we know in reality that they are not. You know, what the only presence they have is, is of an absence. You know, they're, they're not there. And it takes a while for our memory to reconcile their absence along with the expectation of their presence. We, we see this in, in animals a lot, too. Um, after my husband died, my son brought over his little dog, and this little dog was very attached to my husband. He, the dog could not reconcile the absence of my husband. He just stood there in the hallway for hours and hours waiting for my husband to appear. And eventually... Uh, he settled down and sort of, we can call it, accepted that his little friend, his big friend, wasn't going to be there. So that's what our memory does. It anticipates. That's what it's for. And and so if it expects somebody to be there and they're not, uh, it has a hard time adjusting. And that's why people have symptoms immediately after a sudden loss where it feels as though something is missing or they look for something and it's right in front of their face and they can't they can't seem to find it 
it's almost like our memory is giving us information, and that's what it does. Well, there's so much more, <clears throat> obviously, that you cover in the book, and we only have a couple minutes left, so I want to, um, obviously, I want to mention the book again. Grief isn't something to get over, finding a home for memories and emotions after losing a loved one. Um, the author, who I've just been talking to, is Mary Lamia. Um, so, Mary, give us a website. Um, and or websites we can go to for more information about the work that you do and about the book. Certainly. Uh, there, your audience is welcome to visit my website. It's marylamia.com. That's M-A-R-Y-L-A-M-I-A.com. Great. Great talking to you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> 